Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Views on View, the podcast about view. My name is Steve Edwards. I am the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I am still your host. Today, we have a what I would consider an all-star panel on Nuxt, panel and guest. So first, those of you who have been listening recently, remember that I interviewed Drew Baker from Funk House, and today he is functioning as a panelist. So how are you doing, Drew? Great, thanks, Steve. It's very exciting to be talking to Daniel. Yes, yes. It's good to have you. Good. To, I was happy to have good panelists that know what they're talking about, unlike me. And today, our very special guest is Daniel Rowe. Daniel is on the, I believe, the next core team. So, how are you doing, Daniel? Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Hey, folks. This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com/podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So as a little bit of background, we had Daniel on roughly a year ago, I want to say March of 2021, talking about things that were upcoming in Next 3. And now that Next 3 has been released in beta, we wanted to bring him back and talk about what's going on with Nux, what's maybe been added since then, and some of the new and exciting enhancements. And Daniel's one of those people that can talk about Nux to a great extent, just off the top of his head and offhand too. I always like to check both places. So we wanted to have him on. <laughs> so let's start out. We were talking ahead of time and Daniel has written, was that an article or, oh, View Amsterdam reported an article about some of the developer enhancements in Next 3. And Drew's got a particular few things that jump out to him. So uh, Drew, why don't you start us out? What were some of the things that jumped out to you that you wanted to talk about? Well, the new page routing syntax is really interesting. And I, I'm curious to sort of learn more about that from Daniel, about what you can do with that, why why the changes were made over Nux 2 to Nux 3 with this, and then also some of the more advanced patterns that you could put together here with the page routing template n- naming conventions and things. That one is the one that um, jumps out to me for sure. Absolutely. So the, I mean, it's definitely something that you'll be familiar with if, you've, if you're using Nux 2. It's, I think, one of the nicest things just to have this instant view router integration with just by creating pages in in a directory and getting things like the bundle splitting set up for you and linking working and so on. But there's, there's been a couple of changes with Nux3. So we now have this a slightly different syntax for defining dynamic parameters, for example. So uh, in Nux2, it was an underscore. So you would have underscore slug dot view, and that would have 
you'd load that and a params.slug would be filled in with whatever the, the dynamic parameter was. So about forward slash underscore slug dot view would be about some slug. And whereas now we can have uh, parameters with a little bit more pattern awareness. So we surround the, uh, the slug in square brackets and you can actually combine multiple slugs and include text that's not dynamic in all in the file name. It looks just as simple as it did before, but it's a lot more powerful. So you can you could implement something like Twitter's username system. Maybe if you had an at as a required part of the username, it would be really easy to, to implement that with uh, with the new page syntax. And a lot of the additional features built on top of the pages directory, things like uh, layouts and middleware, different kinds of transitions, things like that. They're powered by a new compiler macro called define page meta, which allows us actually a build time to extract information from each page. So it's we don't only know it when you you are actually on that page, when you've loaded that component, you can know it in advance. So you could use uh, that kind of feature, for example, to build a sitemap or a, a menu and navigation throughout your site, because you would be able to access the metadata for all the pages anywhere in your in your website, which is, I think, quite a cool side effect of building things that way. So with the page routing syntax, the square brackets and, and allowing multiple params in a single file name is really interesting. So I could have, so how do you separate out the, what's the syntax for separating out those different params? Like if I've got a, a slug that's BMW-I3, I'm guessing it's the dash that kind of acts as the separator between the two params. Is that right? So basically, if you if you have a slug that maybe is has a a model, like a make and a model or something like that, you could you yeah. could put each in a within square brackets. So you would do something like square bracket make end square bracket dash square bracket model end yeah. square bracket dot view, and then basically that gets turned into a a root and passed over to view router, which does the magic of matching it against the uh, the incoming root. So that was always something that you could create. It was always within the bounds of possibilities of, of what view router supported, but it just wasn't easily, it wasn't configurable, uh, to be honest, with the file system routing previously. It would have, you would have had to, to hook into things a little bit deeper, but, but now it, it is just uh, quite a lot easier to do things like that. Fantastic. And what other, are there any some more advanced features to that? Or is, is this the, the main change there? In terms of the, um, yeah, in terms of the page directory, I think we've, we've not this, I mean, we'd love to know your experience, but I think the page pages directory always has a, has had a pretty good user experience. Fantastic. And when it's user- one of the biggest things, the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest you know, DX, it's game changing. It was incredible. It's so easy to use. So I'm excited to see upgrades to it. And I'm very curious to, to hear of all the other things you can do. It's exciting. Some of the things, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, really glad to hear that. Some of the things to add, add to it. So for example, what we previously needed additional modules for, like the router extras module or the just the router module, which was a complete takeover of the view router integration, we can now do pretty naturally in Nuxt itself. So for example, imagine you had a page, but you, you want it to appear at multiple routes in your app. So maybe it appears at about, but also at team or something like that. Well, you can actually uh, configure that, that root alias really easily just with that uh, compiler macro I mentioned before, just as though you were hard coding it in an array of routes and passing that to view router. So 
again, that's the, I think in my mind, that's what, that's what Nuxt is going for. That super simple, you don't have to do anything, but if you need to, you can configure it all the way home. And, and so I, I think that that's a, it's a nice, it's really nice to be able to do that. Yeah. That is exciting to hear about being able to use the same page template for multiple routes because that is certainly something that I think catches a lot of new people off. It's like, how do I reuse this template correctly? And there, there was, or it felt like there was, a, Nux has done such a great job of being opinionated about the right way to do things or like the Nux way to do things that that is not too intimidating and some really good decisions have been made there. So I'm very excited to hear that you've kind of extended that into things like multiple templates on different routes and stuff. That's pretty exciting. And you've kind of run the, that same philosophy of, of file naming as a routing structure. I'm not sure the best way to explain that, but you've done that same thing with the server API that's now built into Nux with this Nitro server stuff. Maybe talk about that a little bit because that's really interesting. And I think maybe for a bunch of the front end people out there, also a little bit surprising to now have an API in my front end code. So maybe talk a little bit about what that does and and why that's going to be such a big deal. That is an interesting point because... Yes, Nuts may not be easily pigeonholed or easily put into a, a front-end pigeonhole. So yes, there's a, the whole concept. There's been the concept of server middleware in Nuxt too. So you could create these these routes that were handled on the server side only. That they, they didn't have a, they, they weren't rendered by view. They were uh, handled by node. So if you if you hit the server directly, you could you could get um, any kind of response. And it was it was all it was a connect. Connect was the the HTTP framework for that, and it was Express compatible. So if you are familiar with your traditional middleware with a request, response, and a a next as arguments, then that was what Nuxt 2 offered with the server middleware. And and it was traditional, it was really just engaging with Node. So you had your response object and you you could uh, call set header on it. And if you wanted to return a JSON object you could you'd have to pass it as a, a stringified object and, and set a content type header to return that kind of response so i mean it had all that kind of boilerplate with it with nux3 as part of a, a, a much bigger project refining and improving the server and I, i'd love to tell you all about nitro because it it is pretty it's pretty cool i get very excited about it but we we've basically made that whole server middleware side of things, something in its own right. We, we call them server handlers now. And you just create a uh, directory in your project, just like your pages directory for the view router integration, just uh, server slash API or server slash middleware if you if it's not something that returns a response, but just runs on on every every incoming request. And the file name maps to the, the path and it supports dynamic parameters as well. Even supports method, HTTP method hints. So something like server API test.get.ts would um, would only respond to get requests to forward slash API forward slash test. And it's, it's just instant and immediate and not a lot of extra thought required to get up and going with a with a server API. So again, it's it's bringing that same kind of developer experience from the pages directory to the server side and making that a really quite simple. Um, and and then even though it's it's running possibly in Node or possibly in one of the other uh, targets that Nuxt supports like Dino or Cloudflare Workers, you uh, you don't have to in- interact with the uh, a request or response object. Instead, you can just directly return whatever it is you want the 
the handler to, to, to return back. So you can just return an object. And uh, Nitro takes care of, of stringifying it and uh, adding the proper content type headers or whatever else you need. And, and uh, one of my, my favorite things is that we can even give you type hinting for it. So when you make a network request on the front end and you, you just fetch API test, well, we, we can actually type the response for that because we know what it returns. And so you get that in your front end code. So if you're doing type checking and you, you change the shape of your server API, but you don't, don't update your, your view front end, you'll actually get a, a little error telling you that you, you need to, to update it. So which is, I don't know, that's, I'm really pleased about that. Yeah, that's really cool. So in this setup, could you use your, like, make my own server API routes? And then if I wanted to use that data in my front end code, would I then do a fetch to my own server API? Or can I avoid that HTTP request and, and access it directly through code somehow? So great question. So and that's, that's one of the things that you absolutely can do. So we have a, we, uh, Nux is polyfilled fetch. Uh, for a while. So in Nux2, there was a node fetch on the um, on the server and I believe unfetch on the, the client. Well, in Nux3, we, we do something similar. So we, we we have a wrapper over the native fetch API. So that the kind of thing that, that would be a, the browser API you can use on the server side. We go one step further though. We have a, a dollar sign fetch uh, utility function, which is powered by a project that we created as part of this called Oh My Fetch, which you can use in other projects too. And uh, that uh, dollar sign fetch is an isomorphic fetch uh, method. So if you call it on the uh, client side, it behaves just as a normal method. It will hit the network. It will return a response. Yeah, it it adds some great convenience features on top of things, such as you don't have to call await response dot JSON or something like that. It, it just smartly returns whatever the content type it is that you've 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 got back in the response. So if it, if it is JSON, it will just return you an object. But on the server side, it does one better. It directly instead of hitting the network layer, it just hits the Nitro framework recognizes this as a, a response that it can serve with locally and it calls the function it calls the, the handler just as though it's a function running alongside the the part of your app that's making the request and returns the response so um, you can access that anywhere in your view code in your uh, from one server api to another server api and it yes it doesn't have any of that overhead so it is it is super minimal it it makes server side fetching uh, really a delight. Whereas it was often a foot gun uh, previously. People often struggled because, well, what was the base URL? Were you running on HTTP localhost 3000? Or was it a different port? Or was it not localhost? Was it uh, a different kind of host? And you might not know that in any way um, if you were working with a a node server running in a deployed target. Whereas um, it is really, really simple with Nuxt uh, 3 and Nitro. You just call the isomorphic fetch. You hit the endpoint directly on the server side, and it makes a network request on the client side. Yeah, that is fantastic. Man, you can think of some really fast ways to build database requests in that setup. Like if you integrated some kind of key value store into, into Nuxt that ran on whatever server you sort of had going there, you could have your network. You, I mean, you don't have network requests. <laughs> it's instant, pretty much. Drew, are you sure that you have not been? <laughs> you have not. We've not had a conversation before because this is exactly exactly what we've done. So there's yeah. something called. Did you did you know? You're just, you're super familiar with with the Nitro code base. 
because there is something that we've integrated with Nitro called unstorage. And unstorage is a an abstracted interface to accessing different kinds of, well, it's key values uh, s- storage, but it's hierarchical. So there's the concept, uh, think of it like a file system almost. You can mount different drivers to different uh, paths on that file system. So you might have your one path which maps to your file system uh, and one path which maps to an in-memory database. Uh, we have a Redis driver and lots more, and it's easily extensible, so you can come up with your own. And you can access that in Nitro, which means it's super simple to do something like have a setup which uses Redis in production, but just the memory in local development. And the interface, in terms of how you interact with those, is identical from the point of view of development, which means it's a it's really nice. You don't have to worry about the implementation. You just have to worry about the code that you're you're writing. And again, that's all integrated in Nitro, which means that we can do lots of optimizations in terms of making things fast and not having to hit the network layer. <laughs> I, I mean, this is great, but I don't know any of these things, actually. And we have not <laughs> spoken about these oh. things before. I'm, I'm only... <laughs> I'm only guessing at the things that I see that are useful, you know, and if people are listening to this that haven't used Nux before, that this kind of what we're talking about here and is the whole name of the game for Nux, I think, of just like they've kind of thought about, or they, Daniel and the team, have thought about all of these things already and made some decisions for you that just make a lot of sense. And so whenever you find yourself in a position where you're like, oh, I really wish I could do this thing, there's a chance, it, chances are you can do that. And so that's why I'm like, oh, you'd be really good to be on this key value store thing. Of course, you can already do that. You guys have thought about it. It's fantastic. So good work on that. I mean, it's just really exciting to be seeing all this stuff coming out now. <laughs> hey guys, a um, couple of yeah, questions well, before we get down the road and Nitro too much more. Can we jump to, back to the router real quick? Before we get too disjointed, <laughs> one thing, you now, Daniel, you had talked about, and I, I wasn't aware of this until you mentioned this, just because I haven't delved into it deep, too deeply, how you can have multiple parameters in one file, and you gave that make, what did you say, make-model, like for a car website, for instance, I think, as an example. So I'm assuming that then you would, if you, so you'd have bracket make, bracket dash, bracket model, or something like that for your file name. But then inside your component, you would still access those particular values through the params object? Or how does that how does that work? Is that still the same? Exactly. So it would be an object and it would have a make key and it would have a model key. And you could access both of those or either of them or whatever you wanted. But I think, yeah, as you would expect, I think. Okay. So yeah, I was not aware of the multiple parameters like that. That's, that's interesting. An extension to this, you can tell I'm excited to be talking to Daniel. I've got a million questions about this because we use this stuff all the time. And one of the one of the pain points for any new sort of developer developer in Nux, I, I think, has been query strings and how query strings kind of don't get query string parameters don't get same server side sort of treatment like we're talking about. Is that still something that's kind of treated differently in Nux three routing? So one, I mean, one thing which I think it's not what you're talking about, but which gets people um, all the time is the hash part of your uh, path, which browsers don't pass to the the server at all. So servers can never render content based based on that, which is always a, a bit of a surprise, I think, when people discover that. Query strings are are interesting. And I will say that there is a little bit of a challenge here. So we do, you do now have access to the query string on the server. 
I'm guessing probably your experience before was with the full static build. It, am, am I right, Drew? Yeah, absolutely. Like just not being able to use query strings in the async data hook has always, yeah. in a fully static generated site, has always been a, a gotcha. Yeah. So, and exactly, that's the thing. So with a fully static uh, generated site, you were generating these HTML files, one for each root. And if you pass a query string at the end of your, and the way we're doing that is it, it effectively, it's the uh, either the forward slash about is served up by about.html or you've got a directory called about, and it's got an index.html. And so you, either way, that's how you tend to serve a, a static site. But whatever query strings you pass on the client side, it's going to return that same HTML file, which is why in a fully static Nux2 site, we've, we forced users not to rely on the query string. And <laughs> it is a pain. I agree, it's a total pain. But the reason is that we didn't have the capability of creating more than one file to return a different file for each different query string. So it's more of a technical limitation of the of how those static sites were being served. Now at the moment with Nitro, you can generate your site in advance and you can generate routes in advance. But you can also serve them dynamically. And I think one of the great things that the things I'm enjoying about Nitro is the idea that different routes in your site can be treated differently. So you might have something like, you might say that the a path with lots of query strings uh, or, or the capacity of responding differently to those requests based on the query string, you'd say, well, this doesn't make sense for this to be statically generated because we can't generate one file that has all the different responses to all the different possible query string permutations. So that we're going to serve dynamically. But the rest of the site, uh, which is maybe more static, that we're going to generate in advance and we're going to have a cache it at this this level. So um, that's the kind of thing that's unlocked by Nitro. I don't know if that is as good news as you were hoping for, Drew. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess the, the use case I'm thinking of, I mean, we've well, anyone that's been using Nux2 has come up with other ways to solve this problems so far but the one that seems to trip everyone up is i've got a search term and obviously if i'm searching let's say i've built a site that's a a lot of news articles and i'm searching for something generally that's going to be a a, a, you know slash search question mark query and then i'll put you know fast cars or something obviously you don't want to static generate every variation of a search term you know it's infinite (laughs) But the one that you generally do, like a new developer in Nux tries to do is, I want to go to the second page of news. And so I'm going to new slash news, question mark, page equals two. And you quickly find out, well, shit, that doesn't really work. (laughs) Um, So with this new sort of uh, feature to be able to dictate which routes will be static and which ones won't, could you solve something like that? Especially the pagination one is the one I'm most most, interested. curious about well yes exactly so uh, again you might say something like um so i think i mean i I can think of a couple of different ways of solving it so one is you you decide that uh the whole you're not going to serve a render the search pages at all so maybe they're making a request to an api and you'd prefer that be made at client side some kind of reason and you also don't want to deal with caching the responses because when do you decide that, you know, how, how long how long do they live? Lots of questions along those lines. So you could just say, actually, the search page is going to be client-side only. Uh, and that's a very easy thing to do. 
uh, and then you you just you don't have to worry about that. You just uh, treat it, um, and it all works as you expect. You can access the query params. It just it just works. I mean, you you can decide to server render it, but maybe do some kind of shell. So you you render a lot of the interface, but you you actually wait to the client side to do some of the 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 work. And we have this the new ability to have client components. So uh, you can have components in your components directory that have a, a dot client suffix and optionally also a dot server suffix. So you could write a component that had a server implementation and a client implementation, or you could write a component that was just only for the client side. And you could use that, maybe your search bar or search results component. And you can use that throughout your site without any extra client-only wrapper or anything like that. And it would just work. On the server side, it would render the the, the blank div uh, that's then going to be filled in on the client side with the actual results of that. So that would be um, a second possible solution for that for that issue. And then yes, the third is to say something like we're actually going to server render this particular page, and and just give you constant up to date results on that page. Oh, and maybe a fourth option too, but I guess it falls outside of the what you were asking, which is you could decide to change how the parameter is passed. So rather than being a query string, as maybe in the case of a search, you could do something like it's actually just going to be forward slash search forward slash search term. And that way it would be cacheable. But um, there are some options there. Super interesting. I'm glad to see that expanded upon. I think it's going to be, uh, I mean, flexibility is fantastic. So cool stuff. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Hey, uh, Daniel, one other question I wanted to follow up on regarding the router was, you know, up through next two, I believe we've talked about the, the page routing and, you know, basing your URLs on the folder structure under pages and so on. But if I remember correctly, doesn't Nuxt also Nuxt 3 also have the option to completely abandon that and just use your standard view router configuration in a in a JSON file as you would with a standard view app that isn't Nuxt? You can so with Nuxt 3 you can there are a couple of options for you right now. And these are expanding all the time. So option one is you don't have a pages directory at all. If you don't have a pages directory, then Nuxt actually gives you something that is a super lightweight router. That so everything still works. You still have a used router hook. You still can access that dollar sign uh, root. You can still use navigation utilities and middleware on your site, but it's super minimal. It it just is a, a fraction of the size of of Nuxt router. It's something like thirty kilobytes less in terms of bundle size, and so. Out of the box, if you don't have a pages directory, you get something which still lets you do routing, still lets you use Nuxt links, um, and so on. But it just it doesn't have the it doesn't have the feature some of the features of View Router, but it, it has has the sort of a minimal implementation. 
So um, you would still create your own JSON structured or objects, you know, with all your routes and stuff, or or how does that minimal work, routing work then in that case? Well, the minimal routing is that there there are no routes. It's it's just a URL and route objects. So it's up to you to implement the behavior that you want to match that. So you would do something like you know display this if route dot path equals that and display. So it basically puts things up to you. But in a lot of cases, people don't necessarily need different actual routes to their app. They it might be a single page landing site, or it might be something where they want to have deep control over transitions and how different components sort of behave as different paths, um, as the other browser goes different paths. So that that's not a case. It's not like view router, but you define things manually. It's more, it's more like it's a different, a slightly different paradigm that there, there's no roots. It's just browser paths, but how you able to interact with that browser path is through a very familiar interface. So it's all passed. You get all the query strings uh, separated into objects. You you can have middleware that runs before going to a different URL. You have uh, you know links that that go different forward slash URLs, absolute and relative URLs within the site. So a lot of things work similarly, but it it just doesn't have that core view router routing implementation. So that's that's one option. A second option is you can hook into the root configuration. And we, we give that uh, a lot of options around that. So you can create a an app router options file and and put and it exports a an object with options for your router. So you can configure all the the little things that you would normally do to configure your router, like your active class or something like that. So you can you can implement it all all there. That's a bit more hands on. And we also have hooks that you can hook into. So if you wanted to change the the roots. You could simply pick. You could you could hook into um, one of the the many build time Nuxt hooks and actually just uh, remove all the existing routes that Nuxt has put there and and put your own in. So you could take com- complete control uh, if you wanted to, but that would be via a hook rather than just adding a roots.json file. Got it. Got it. Okay. So moving on from router, one of the I think the developer enhancement improvements that you've mentioned is uh, trying to make it zero config in in that when you build your site, you you know, you spin up a site and instead of having to configure where your plugins are, or, you know, where your components are or so on, there's a lot of zero config in that Nuxt automatically reads things within a certain directory structure and imports them and makes them usable throughout your application. So you want to go through some of those options? Absolutely. I love you picked that particular feature of Ducks because that's what, that's what I find most difficult, I think, when I'm going to a different project. So if I'm firing up another framework or trying to do a, you know, a reproduction in vanilla view and Vite, it suddenly feels like, oh, I have to, I have to do so much more. So, so yes, a lot of zero config. So the pages directory is automatically scanned. Plugins don't have to be registered manually anymore. So they're just registered. But we also have, and um, you'll be familiar with from Nuxt 2 with the idea that the components directory is is automatically scanned and then imported anywhere in your view app that uses that particular component. The same is is now also true for the composables directory. 
So the move from Vue 2 to Vue 3 is in many ways a move from majority options API to majority composition API. Options API is, of course, still supported, but there are a lot of really neat features and pluses for using the composition API, and in particular, script setup. That mean that I would really highly recommend recommend it if, if you're on the fence. But it also means that a lot of functionality can be extracted from, I guess, you might have a mix-in in uh, in Vue 2, whereas in Nux 3, you might, or in Vue 3, you might have a composable. So a a setup function that gets called, um, does various things. Maybe it it creates a computed property, it registers an on-mounted callback, something like that. And then it returns something that the user can use at the end of the day. So it adds a, an event listener to the window and something it, it has a an inter, a bit of an internal state and then it only exposes what the user needs to to the actual user. And the idea is that by doing things that way you can actually reuse the code. So rather than uh, a mix in can be quite a clunky way of doing it and it, it often hides things like you're not really aware of what methods are exposed from a mix in for example. And you can't really make things private. So a computed property that a mixin uh, creates for its own internal use is, is actually accessible anywhere that mixin is used. Whereas composables are really easily extractable and easily reusable. And basically because of that, we created the concept of auto-importable composables and helper functions. So anywhere in your Nuxt app, if you're using one of the many default built-in helper functions like define component or define Nuxt plugin, or ref, or reactive, or unmounted, or any number of things, you don't have to import it. We detect that you're using it, and we inject an import into that very file so you can access it in your site. Uh, And the same is actually true of all of your own code that you put in that composables directory. So they are scanned for exports, and then those exports are made available all the way throughout your next app, and also made available to your editor, your IDE. So we tell your IDE that those are available so that you get uh, type hinting and auto-completion, no squiggly red lines anywhere, ideally. I'm going to um, maybe catch you off guard here, Daniel, but also do a feature request at the same time. Where you, what, about, <laughs> what about SVGs? Would you like to be able to stick them in the components directory and have them automatically available throughout the site? I would, yes, very much so. <laughs> so that sounds like a, a cool feature. And it sounds like something that would be really straightforward to implement with a Nuxt module. So please do put a feature request in <laughs> or ping me about it because I think it, it sounds like a really good idea. And it's it's what it's the kind of thing that we probably should build into something like the uh, Nuxt SVG module because that, that would be really convenient, wouldn't it? Just to have auto-importable SVGs. Yes. Yeah. And it's something that I wish that worked with the uh, auto component importer that you have in Nux 2 at the moment. It, and, it, you know, it is solvable by modules and that's how we do it at Funkhouse. But it is one of the things, the first thing you kind of need to do is like, oh, this is all great. Okay, now I put a logo on the page. It's like always a bit of a pain point. <laughs> it's, I mean, and I hear you, Drew. And I think, I mean, the question about whether it goes in a module is is interesting. But even if it does, we can hook into all the things that I've been talking about. So we could create we could hook into the components side of things so it's available in your editor and your editor knows that 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 SVG can be inserted and used as a global component. We can add it to the types for your app so that uh, it's that maybe if if that SVG has props or something like that, we can actually 
communicate that somehow. So I think we could do, you could really integrate quite tightly with the DX side of things on, on the Nuxt next end. I don't know how far to get down the line. We're just going to take a pause from from chatting and we're just going to build this module. And, <laughs> <Sure>. and... <laughs> no, it's great. I for anyone out there listening like why SVGs complicated things to deal with or cuz they're they're really in between kind of thing. They're not an image but they kind of are an image and they're not code but they totally are code and you have to be careful with the way you use them because they can contain executable code in them. And especially it gets even more weird when you have your CMS, you know, needs to allow the user to upload an icon of some sort. You know, we deal with it all the time with the kind of more Hollywood stuff that we build where you'll have like an awards grid. Here's all the awards we've won or here's all the clients we've worked for and they want to upload 30 SVGs. Yeah, having your, it gets really difficult when you put SVGs into a CMS and then try and load them from a CMS into your view site because you're you're essentially transmitting code that you want to end up on the site and it, and it gets really strange. So anyway, that's a quick aside as to why SVGs are, are painful in the in the front end kind of world at the moment. I mean, they they offer so much SVGs because the idea of being able to style them, you know, and to use CSS and actually that on your front end and actually can affect the image that is being rendered. I mean, that is amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons why, rather than embed them as images, um, we we much prefer to treat them as sort of code and make them part of the DOM. But yes, it's it's interesting. I think we could probably do a whole episode talking about SVGs. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Steve, I, as I'm sure you're picking up here, I could get in the weeds real deep on all this stuff, but I want to, I want to defer to you here what anything anything sort of high level you want to keep going on actually what i want to do is is circle back to composables just because there's something i haven't used although it sounds very familiar to me to a a structure that's used across programming languages and and tool sets and so on so a composable if i understand it daniel is basically something reusable that you want to use throughout your app in different places is that correct so I mean, you're absolutely right. That is that is what it is. I think you can all. I mean, and and that is how it works with in Nux. You can use it's anything. There's no real restriction put on what is in that composables directory. Whatever you put in there gets importable throughout your app. So you can put utility functions. You can put sort of a traditional view composable in there. Uh, whatever you want, um, and it gets auto imported throughout the view portion of your of your app. At the same time, I think there is a slightly narrower definition of composable as well, which is something that's intended to be run in a setup function. And so it specifically has this kind of life cycle of you you run it synchronously and it returns an object or a single thing, but it returns something that you then use later on. Because the idea in that setup function is that you call various chunks of code and then you you not only imperatively do things like put something in an on-mounted callback, um, but you also get some kind of uh, declarative state. So a computer computer properties or a data prop- property that you then return from the setup function uh, and therefore expose to the template and so can interact with. And so I would say a composable is something that acts in that kind of way. You, you sort of set up the sort of state, the pattern of interaction between this the internal state and you expose something to the user and, and that 
It sounds like I'm making this really complicated. <laughs> it's well, really Daniel, complicated. actually, I have a great example here of something that I built yesterday that in Nux 2 that was is really painful and it would be so much easier with a composable. I'll, and I think it's an interesting little example here. Maybe I'll, I'll ch- chime in here, Stephen, and this might help. So I'm building a website that is has a lot of slide-out panels. And so when I click something, I want to slide out a panel from the left of the page and that panel should load its own content. And so it's a really interesting thing there because what I want to do is I want to track the panel being open or closed and I want to do a fetch to my server and get the content for that panel. And then I want to show that to the user. And so if you're doing that in Nux 2 and you, and you want it to sort of play nicely with the router, like in our case, I'm doing some pretty advanced stuff and I want to be able to have the URL that app updates so that I can send you a URL and that panel will actually be open with the right content in it. So in Nux 2, to build something like that, I'm going to have a fetch hook that fetches my data and I'm going to have to probably have some sort of mix-in to handle the opening and the closing of the, of the panel. And then I'm also going to have to have some computer properties to sort of structure the return data in such a way that I can use it because we use GraphQL for everything and so you have a lot of nested data structures and we want to only get you know the right ones you know to, to to be used on this page and i want to ignore some of the other things or whatever it might be so you end up with a pretty complicated set of things that are all relying on each other is the panel open have i fetched the data yet has the data finished because i want to show show a little loading spinner or something while it's fetching and it's kind of a mess now with a composable i could have a a, a function or is a composable but in terms of what it would look like to the developer it's a function called open panel and load content and it kind of does all those things for me and i just need to use it in one place and it's not a mix-in because it's i mean if anyone's really actually used a view mixing on a project at scale they're so hard to debug you know six months from now oh uh, amen amen i yeah. can tell you horror stories about that yeah there's a great developer that is big in the Los Angeles community, John Jardock. And he has this great saying, which is like, mix-ins are an anti-pattern. Don't use them. (laughs) So anyway, composables would solve that because you can kind of chain a whole bunch of things together and they can act as like a little factory that does all the things it needs to do and just return, yes, I loaded the data, here it is. And also the panel is open. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's such an, I think it's a really elegant way of, of extracting things um, and, and also doing it in a semantic way because that's what we try to do in the rest of our code, right? We try and create uh, meaningful names uh, for the functions we, we call. We, we try and have, uh, if you just read it, it should make sense. We shouldn't have lots of extra stuff, but everything that's there should be you know, quite explicit in terms of the, for example, if you're exposing things to, to the, if you have a view component um, and something, some bits are internal state and some bits are exposed to the template, that that's more complex than if you are just able to to see at a glance what's exposed to the template, what the the sort of component, what the API is that you're making available to to your own code. It, it that feels a lot cleaner, a lot cleaner to me to be able to do something like use slide out const state equals use slide out or whatever, and then and uh, maybe a sort of toggle function or something like that. And you know that's all you really need to know when you're engaging with that. Everything else is in a single place where it can be modified, tweaked, refactored without changing how it works or interacts with throughout the rest of your site. And I think it's important to 
point out to everyone that the composables isn't a Nux thing. That's a Vue 3 thing. And the new Nux 3 just supports Vue 3. So we can use these things. Where, where it becomes a Nux thing is the auto-importing of the composables and the developer experience is just so much better. And so that, I mean, that's the big, like I said earlier, that's like the game that Nux is playing is just making all this stuff really easy for you in a, in a common sense way. Also, I think it's important to clarify when we and when Daniel's been saying auto-importing of things, that's done in a very, very smart way. That's not just like, oh, we're globally importing all of your components and all of your composables and like that we're pretending like that's a good feature. That's absolutely not what they're doing. That stuff is, well, Daniel, you'll know better than I. You can explain kind of what's going on there, really. So, um, I mean, you're, you're spot on. We're, we're looking at the, um, the, the code and what's being used in your code. So the, the two pieces are, one, making your editor aware that this is available. And so we lie a little bit. We tell your editor it's globally available. And so your editor thinks, okay, we don't need to import it. We can just use this composable anywhere. And so you're, you, you can type it. You get your type hint. Uh, Etc. And then we we inject a a great uh, a little plugin which runs in both Vite and Webpack. And uh, we've actually written a, a plugin framework a, f- a framework for building plugins called Unplugin. Uh, so check that out. It means you can write a single plugin that works in v- in Vite and Webpack and roll up. Uh, and it just has a consistent inter- interface and it just uh, it just works. It's great. And you can uh, and so we we've written this this transform plugin that that looks at what you're using what uh, your code. And if you're using one of these these particular functions that we make available everywhere, and and this is important, you've not declared it somewhere. There's no nothing shadowing that. There's no local import or local redefinition. Then we inject an import it directly into that code. So it's it's just what you would want to happen. Um, it means if you are using it only in one route, then bundle splitting still works. And it means if you don't use the composable at all, it doesn't get put in your bundle. So tree shaking works as well. So basically, as you would want it to. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff going on there that you just want to happen. And there's a bit that you didn't mention there, Daniel, that I think is also really cool is that you have uh, the ability to lazy load components as well. Although maybe I'm wrong on that. I mean, I know in Nux 2 you can. Have you changed the way that works with lazy loading components in Nux 3? Oh, we we did, but actually fairly recently re-implemented it again. So uh, yeah, so lazy loading uh, works. So you you can typically this would be where you conditionally display a component in another component. So you you want maybe you have your mobile nav and your desktop nav. Um, so you're not going to want both of them to be loaded, and so you you don't really actually need to import the code to handle. Uh, one of them, and you definitely don't need to instantiate that component. You don't need to run that. Run that. You don't want it just hidden somewhere in the DOM. You don't want it there at all. And ideally, you don't want the code loaded. So the lazy prefix can be added to any component that is made globally available. And when Nux sees that, it knows this is we're registering this as a dynamic component, and it will it will create the boilerplate required to make that work. In in view two, it was a bit simpler actually. In Nux. In Vue three, it's it's a bit more complex, but we we create that uh, we create the um, an asynchronous component that is uh, is basically only only used when when required, and because that's created with a dynamic import, it means that the Vite or Webpack know that that can be separated out that the code for that component doesn't have to be part of the bundle for the page you're you're rendering. It can actually be in a, a shared secondary bundle often one which is just has that component code and only pulled in when when needed. Um, we still 
let the browser know about it. So if the browser has spare bandwidth and wants to, it can it can prefetch it. But it, that's very much a non-blocking thing, and it, it can speed things up. But it it, it means that basically you you got a lot better performance out of the box if you're not going to use that component. All right. So at this point, we're hitting some time constraints. So I think we need to wrap it up. But I also think it's fairly obvious that we need another episode. So <laughs> we will try to talk about that and get that scheduled. In the meantime, we'll wrap up for today. So first of all, thank you to Drew and Daniel for coming. I'm just sort of sitting back here and all going, geez, these guys are smarter than me. But that's how you do things. You get people smarter than you and let them do all the work. So with that, we'll move on to picks. Uh, picks are things that we like to talk about that maybe aren't related to Nuxt review or tech or whatever. So we'll let uh, Drew go first. Drew, you got anything to share with us today? Yeah, my, I'm going to double down on the Nuxt thing a little bit because I've been obsessed with it lately. But it's a little known thing that I don't think many people know about. When we at Funkhouse were looking to to use Nux in a big way years and years ago. One of the things that made me really feel good about it was Nux has like an enterprise support layer. I like. I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like I work for Nux. I, I definitely don't. I'm just a big fan and made my life way easier. So you can actually hire the Nux team directly from their website at an hourly rate to help you solve problems, which doesn't make a lot of sense if you're just a freelance developer doing this stuff you probably don't want to spend the money on that but for an enterprise level or a bigger company like what we were at Funkhouse, you know spending a couple of hundred bucks an hour to solve a problem that we got stuck on was such a critical thing to know we had and we've we've used that a few times and so i just wanted to point that out to people that you uh that's an that's an option in the next world and it's really really cool i mean daniel i, I hope that you guys are still doing that <laughs> <laughs> that's really really kind of you to say drew the um the well, that, um, you're, you're right. That there is there is that um, enterprise support uh, plan, and I should say also though that feel free just to message me too. I'm really happy to help. <laughs> I don't, don't mean to 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 do down <laughs> do down the uh, the next enterprise support plan, but you really don't need to feel like you have got to engage financially <laughs> in order to to receive help. Um, I really am always happy to, to help if I can. You heard it, everyone. You get stuck on anything, hit up Daniel. <laughs> oh, I could vouch for that. Uh, I'm working on something with Nuxt, and Daniel took some time out his day to help me get through some thorny problems. So it was, it was awesome. It saved me a lot of time. It was really great. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So awesome. Is that your pick? Is that all you got, Drew? Yeah, that was it. I just want to shout that out because I think it's really cool. Okay. So I will go next. I have one article and then the high point of every podcast episode, dad jokes. First is an article that's view, not necessarily next specific, that uh, my boss actually brought to my attention today. And it's called, it sounds sort of, what's the term, term I'm looking for? contrarian, but it says, View 3 was a mistake that we should not repeat. Uh, and it's a blog post on Medium uh, by a guy named Fotis Ademakis. I'm guessing he's Greek or something like that. I could be totally wrong, so don't quote me on that. But it just talks about the, the huge change that there was in API from View 2 to View 3 and, and some of the issues that have come along with that. Uh, so I'll put the, the link to that in the show notes for sure. And then uh, the dad jokes of the week. So 
for those of you that like to travel quite a bit, you know that you can get things like a trip insurance so that if for some, if something happens, if you get sick or, you know, a war starts somewhere, maybe, you know, you can get your travel costs paid for by insurance so you don't lose a bunch of money. And so I like to go camping and I got some camping insurance, but after I bought it, I found out that apparently if someone steals my tent in the middle of the night, I'm no longer covered. And my drum joke's not working. Oh no. The the groan was probably sort of concealed by the auto canceling noise cancellation headphones <laughs> and so on. That out. That is that out, Steve. <laughs> and my drum joke sound effect is not working in Riverside and I'm not happy. But uh <laughs> anyway, and then I had a an uncle that was recently uh he was arrested for feeding pigeons at the zoo. You know, not a bad thing. The only problem was he was feeding them to the lions. You know, you get that. Oh, man, it just sucks with no sound effects. Well, I don't know. I think it sells it pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I had a boss. My boss told me that, you know, part of my job is also a security guard. And he told me that my job is to watch the office. But I'm on season six, and I don't really see what that has to do with security. But anyway, you know, TV show, The Office. Anyway. So those are my uh, jokes for the week. And last but not least, we'll come to our guest, Daniel. Daniel, do you have any picks for us? Well, um, I've just been so inspired by you, Steve, that uh, I've got I've got two picks, both about about new technology. And the, the first one is is a really interesting new thought controlled room fragrance. Uh, it's a, it's a absolutely uh, huh. incredible, really amazing, amazing work. It makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. Happy. Uh, I'm just offering that to you for for future future use. My actual pick is uh, Raycast. I don't know if either of you have used it before, but it is amazing. It's I use it every day. If you, (laughs) me me too. I basically that it was recommended to me as well. And uh, just to say what it is, so it's it's a like a Quicksilver or Alfred replacement. uh, Your sort of command space if you're on a Mac Mac OS. And it is just amazingly intuitive in terms of what it can do. So for example, if you are five minutes out from a meeting, it integrates with your calendar and it just shows you the uh, the meeting. You just press enter and it fires up the app that handles that video call uh, and you're just in it immediately. I mean, honestly, just for that one feature alone, I would use it every day. Um, it's, it's amazing. So try it out, raycast.com. But a particular thing I'm interested in uh, and trying out more recently is they've just just opened up access to their extensions API, so you can actually build anything that you you can really sort of conceive of in terms of something that's going to make your life easier and uh, is just a sort of command space away. So yeah, check in on the second half of the episode and I'll tell you what I've managed to build. But but it's uh, it seems pretty cool. So did you use Alfred before Raycast? Do you know I I didn't I use the um, stock macOS finder okay yeah i used alfred for probably a couple of years before raycast came along and the difference between the two for those that might not be familiar with these tools is that alfred's proprietary and raycast is open source so that's one of the bigger differences and you can add all kinds of extensions i do stuff i use it probably mostly for if i want to run a quick search in a browser i'll just bring that up type it in you know it's like search in whatever browser and then it opens my browser there are some things that Alfred is better at. I know, for instance, uh, I could open maps, you know, cut maps and then my address and it just pops right up and it doesn't work quite so smoothly. But at the same time, there's a whole huge marketplace of plugins that you can just download and install 
you know, for searching things or opening things or controlling things on your computer. And it's all just, uh, you know, option space bar is the default key and you bring it up, start typing in what you want to do. It integrates with system commands, opens all of your apps. One of the cool things that I like about it is that it has tools to uh, control your window display, your application display on your uh, monitor. So if I've got an app open and, okay, I want to open this in the left half of this particular monitor, just uh, focus on that, type left half, it brings it up and resizes and repositions that particular app. So there's just, there's a lot of utilities. It's a really great tool for uh, productivity for sure. So with that, we will wrap it up today. Thank you to both of you for coming and talking about Next3. I think it's fairly obvious that we've sort of scratched the surface, maybe a little deeper into Next3, but uh, we'll look to do another episode and continue our conversation then. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.